Welcome to Run This World. My name is Nicole DeBoom. I'm a former pro athlete turned entrepreneur. Each week, I'll bring you insights and inspiration from some of the world's greatest visionaries who will help you run your world in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. All in the framework of the amount of time it takes for the average person to run a 5K. That's 36 minutes and 38 seconds, give or take a mile. We often go long, so get ready. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's get this workout started. Hey everyone. I hope you're having the best day ever because I am. I'm, uh, if you recall, hanging out in my mountain getaway. I literally took a little hot tub break for inspiration. (laughs) So do you ever experience that feeling that even though you're doing the same things you do at home, like washing the sheets and getting groceries and making dinner and cleaning the bathroom, it just feels easier or lighter or somehow more enjoyable when you're on vacation? Well, I've been in Granby, Colorado for over three weeks now. And even though it's less than two hours from home, I have a feeling I will be experiencing big time re-entry from this trip. Um, One of the things that is actually keeping me connected to the real world is this podcast. So while I'm here, I'm working on episodes, I'm dreaming up future guests, I'm doing interviews, I'm replying to people who are reaching out to me. But I'm also documenting this trip every chance I have by embracing big adventures and making sure Tim takes photos of them. So if you have a moment, please uh, take a moment. If you have a moment, take a moment to uh, check out my Instagram account. It's Nicole Boom. I usually push everything through to my uh business Facebook page as well, if you're a Facebooker, and enjoy some of the gorgeous moments that Tim has captured. And just tell me what you feel. Um, I happen to be also modeling our new fall line in most of the photos, or even wear testing future products like the bikini bottom I was wearing in one of these little beach type shots. So let's just say swimwear will be happening in the not so far future. This is a fitting podcast to talk about that because I met our guest on a pool deck. Uh, If you've never tried out Skirt Sports products, get over to our website, skirtsports.com. Use the code RTWPODCAST15 for 15% off. Um, All the new gorgeous fall prints that we've recently rolled out. I actually think it's super weird that we call it fall But from an industry perspective, I mean, that's what it is. It's the fall line, but we roll it out in July. So anyway, that's that has nothing to do with this podcast. But as you know, skirt sports is very near and dear to my heart. So even though I'm taking a break from my real life in Boulder, I have no problem continuing to do the things that make me happy because getting away doesn't have to mean stopping your life. It's just about gaining a new perspective on it. See how I brought that full circle? Today's guest is a very special person to me. I have known Katie Blakemore since she was 15 or 16 years old, a distance swimmer on the Longmont Redtail swim team where I was a coach before I started racing professionally. Katie was always the hardest working kid on the team. And she had the best attitude. (laughs) She was 
incredibly talented, like a top level swimmer, but she wasn't one of the best swimmers, even on the team. Um, But even with that said, she managed to talk her way into walking onto Stanford's swim team, like the number one swim school in the country. I knew from the early days, too, that Katie would probably become a triathlete someday. It was just a a hunch. She was an incredible runner as well as a distance swimmer, but she just had, even back then, the mental fortitude to be great in a sport that requires so much sacrifice. So needless to say, (laughs) that actually came true. You see, I was recently volunteering at the Boulder Ironman, and I don't even keep track anymore of what pros are racing, Um, so I was out there to support my nonprofit running start. So anyway, the leaders start running by, and I literally almost missed Katie until I heard her voice calling for ice, and it just hit me. Katie Blakemore is here, and not only here, she's one of the leaders. She was in third place at the time on the first loop, and running stronger than anyone ahead of her, anyone behind her. Um, While everyone else was melting and fading due to the heat and the fact that it's a freaking Ironman, Katie was getting stronger. Uh, She finished that day in second place, just a couple minutes behind the winner. So proud of her. But the truly awesome part is that her baby Kit was waiting for her at the finish line. And I mean, To kind of wrap this intro up, it's rare that I get to interview someone I've known from adolescence through to major life milestones as an adult. I really enjoyed catching up with Katie and learning how she moved through her life using sport and family as a foundation for many of the decisions she made. And I think you're going to enjoy her too. All right then, let's bring her on. I definitely will. <laughs> you, wait. Oh, okay. Great. Because you are a hyperhydrator. I am. Yes. I love, love water. <laughs> so wait, Katie, did you learn about hydration when you were a swimmer? Oh, I'm going to say probably not. I don't. I'm trying to think if I remember even bringing a water bottle to you swim did. practice. You I did. did. Okay. Nicole so, would know. You know, we're, we're on. Yay. We're doing I, this. I assumed we're your going. voice changed just slightly and it got more official in here. Like the podcast voice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, this is one of the coolest podcasts ever because I was thinking about it and I'm not sure I've known any of my guests longer than you. Oh, yay. That's probably true. Or at least followed you along. I did have one person I went to high school with, but we reconnected like a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. We've been at least like sort of in touch for 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. How old are you? Maybe longer than that. I'm 36. Ah! So maybe even longer than that. Were you even driving when we first met? Probably not. Oh my God. I know. It's amazing. Well, let's, uh, you know, I thought we've got a lot of cool topics. Here you are, professional triathlete. I run into you when I'm volunteering at the aid station at the Boulder Ironman and you're in second place female running along. (laughs) You. How cool is that? Yeah. When you say run in, you mean just like (laughs) scream with all your heart. Your aid station was so good. Oh, I I was like, I was counting down miles, like just get to Nicole and then (laughs) get back to Nicole and you can make it. Well, you know, what's kind of cool is I, we volunteered so we could support the nonprofit I started called Running Start. And it's really cool. We earned some money through the Ironman. We actually earned two grand because we won best aid station. 
That's Hello. so awesome. Did you vote for us? Congratulations. Thank you. But the thing is that as a former pro, I was thinking, well, I'm in the heads of the people who are racing. And mm-hmm. I remember how I would like to be treated or how the things I would like. And so when I saw the top pros come through, it was more like, all right, get get a read on what they want. Send it down the line. Tell them. Let people know. She wants ice. She wants Gatorade. You know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I, I always joke that if any of the aid station volunteers passing out Coke proposed marriage to me, I would accept, like, divorce my amazing husband and accept (laughs) because I'm just so happy for Coke at the aid station. Well, especially by the last half. Oh, Oh that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so... So so here we are, like, adults, fully adults, right? Running into each other where you've got this career that I used to have. It's amazing. Wait a minute. In 10 years, are you going to host a podcast and I think own that's a the women's plan. clothing company? I think I should <laughs> start a so clothing cool. company. But if we go all the way back in time, I thought, you know, today, I mean, we could really just sort of catch up. I would love to catch let's up do with it. you. Let's do it. So let's start when you were 16 years old and we were, I was uh, the assistant swim coach at Longmont Red Tails. Yeah. So I like to say I coached Katie Blakemore, but I really wasn't like your primary coach. But, um, I felt like connected to you and part of your evolution as an athlete because I saw something so special in you, even when you were so young. A, you were fast. I mean, there's no doubt you were a very fast swimmer. You weren't the fastest swimmer in the state um, or on the team, but you had a work ethic that you don't see a lot these days. And that has always stood out to me. I knew whatever you did would be special. That's really, that like gave me goosebumps. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, I think, I mean, it was the same from the other side, Nicole, in that you were down playing with our little kids. Um, but, But I think that you were always someone that we looked up to. And like personally, I did because of your athleticism and drive. And I thought it was so interesting. I mean... At the time, I don't think I knew anything about like post-collegiate athletics. That was sort of when you're in high school. I mean, at 15 or 16, even college feels like really old. And the idea of continuing to train after that was sort of exciting, but also a little bit strange. And, And you were fun and vivacious. And that Longmont Red Tails community, somehow it just worked out. I mean, it's this little... At the time, we were kind of just a podunk team compared to a lot of huge teams in the state with their big fancy pools. And somehow we just ended up with a group specifically of girls, but kind of two groups of girls, basically a group my age, sort of our 15, 16, 17-year-olds, and then another group that you had of that must have been sort of 10, 11, 12 at the uh-huh. time. Yep. These two really strong groups that were just, we were a community. I am still, my very best friend is from then. Um, I'm in touch with some of those little girls, thanks to social media mostly, but. Um, They're doing Ironmans too. I know. Freaking out. <laughs> my gosh. But yeah, it was it was a place, and I should not discount, there were some awesome guys on that team as well, but it was a place where it felt really good to work hard, where people, we, we made each other better both in the pool and also outside. I think everybody came from 
different schools. I think there were probably five high schools represented on our team. And so there was very little clickiness. Everyone, I think, was really true to who they were, which at 15 or 16 is not something that's easy to find. No, so no, not at that all. Was, I think that that was just a really wonderful experience growing up. Well, and you know, you speak to being true to who you are at a young age. I mean, yeah, you hit it, you nailed it on the head. Like that is not easy. That's not easy at any age. No. And those young girls needed role models beyond their coach because while maybe they might look up to a coach, they're not relating to the same life experiences. So you can't discount the effect you had on some of those younger girls who were pheno- who became phenomenal swimmers or swim coaches themselves and continue to pursue their own athletics. Yeah. So what made you okay? So let me let me also say that you know a lot of times when you're young, you're making decisions based on external uh, stimuli, right? <laughs> Yeah. You're like, I want to go party. I want to go show off. I want to be this or that. You always seem to make more level-headed decisions. Do you <laughs> feel like that's true? Um, like decisions that you actually thought through. You know, I guess maybe the point is that you seem to have more thought process that was developed already at that young age than a lot of kids who just like make decisions that can hurt them later. Specifically, I'm thinking of maybe some of the boys, because maybe boys' brains aren't quite as developed as young, which is actually true. We know that. It is true. Right. Um, So that's interesting. I mean, I think um, in some ways, yes, I was always sort sort of that delay of gratification kid, right? I didn't mind studying first, training first, doing something. That was... I think you'd have to check with my parents, but I think that that was was something that was true from fairly early on. And and part of this, maybe credit my parents, maybe credit like the 88 and 92 Olympics was thanks to sports that I learned and particularly sports like swimming where sort of the training to glory ratio is really high and and I think that transfers into life and so when very early on I learned that yes if you go to practice every single day if Nicole when I was an eight and under and I only swam in the summer as an eight and under and until maybe I was 11 or 12 I would go to the nine and above practice for an hour and a half and then I would stay for the eight and under practice because I just liked to swim so much and but I think as I saw I know I mean you look back you're just like right too many too many hours chasing that black line but but as you see then oh my time dropped oh it mattered that I went to practice it mattered that I practiced my flip turns it mattered that I practiced these and then it it paid off with this fun finish or this PR or this awesome relay swim. I think when you learn that and as long as you have, you know, a little bit of an open mind to how this athletics can transfer into real real life, I think that definitely led to yeah, I'm going to stay in and study for the SAT or whatever it was, do my college applications. So I think I think sports I think sports, frankly, are a metaphor for 
anything you want in life, you well, can connect. But but yeah, I think that probably helped. Oh yeah, I mean that's such a big uh, realization very early on. Um, and you mentioned how how athletics translate into real life, and you you bring up like studying for a test, but. How else do they translate into real life? Okay. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, and maybe we no. even want to hit on the fact that you're an educator. This right. is what you do. Right. Right? Yeah. And you, let me just back up, because Katie has one of the most incredible resumes you will ever see. Like, the things that you have done, you went on to Stanford, you're the friggin' captain of the team. Um, you were in the Peace Corps. You're bilingual, aren't you? I am. Oh, my God. You got a master's from Vanderbilt. You went on to become a professional triathlete. Now you're a mom racing as a pro, getting second place in a big Ironman a couple weeks ago. Um, those are big things. And what you chose to do with that incredible resume is to give back in a way that maybe doesn't have the glory that we had talked about, but maybe it does have a glory on a small scale. I don't know. So how does this athletic background and all the things you've learned from athletics translate into the decisions you've made later in life yeah oh my gosh isn't it crazy it's, to hear your resume spoken out loud well, by someone you. doesn't it that make your head nice. grow and you're like i am awesome i have like, done all that oh, i need to start doing more cool things again um <laughs> oh believe me you're doing that i know Ugh, parenthood too it's so Every time um, you whip out a boob and I breastfeed a little you kid, you're doing I something amazing. You are, you are doing something. Um, you know, it's funny because, yeah, I think sport translates in so many ways. I think um, this is a very superficial one, but a friend of mine and I were talking about a boy that she was really into and seemed he seemed like he was really into her initially and then was kind of moving away a little bit and we likened it to when someone rides past you on the bike and you want to match their speed for about 10 or 15 minutes but if they're really blowing you up you let them go and you know either they're gonna get tired and you'll catch up again or they're just going faster than you. Same with this boy. Either he's going to explore, he's going to realize he wants to be back next to you, or he's not. Now, that's a very superficial way I love to this. connect to them, right? But this is yeah, real life, though. This is real life. It really does change. And so um, I think, obviously, the ways that it more connects, I think, are in terms of like mental and emotional stability, toughness, and just knowing yourself. There's really no better way to figure out who you are than to go for a long run, in my opinion, and and have some time with your own thoughts. And so because in that long run, you're going to have moments when you're feeling really down and everything hurts and you're tired and it's miserable. And then at least for me, typically there's something random and external maybe that'll pop in and say, you'll go, oh my gosh, look at that beautiful butterfly, right? And pop your head back around to something positive. I think that's true in life as well when you're feeling these really kind of like we all have days or weeks or however long it is where you're just kind of not hitting it. You're not in your groove and and maybe something comes along that can snap you out of it. And if not, I think what sport really teaches you is 
how to snap out of it on your own. What it is, what is it that can turn my turn my mind around and and thanks to a lot of pool time, a lot of running time, I usually know how to do that. I people say I'm fairly positive. I think so, and I I think most of that is just that I've I learned fairly early that you are in control of the way that you feel about things, right? I think Helen Keller says, like, it's your disposition, not your circumstances. She says it nicer than that. But But yeah, yeah, she signs it. She signs it and (laughs) says it, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's more about how are you going to look at this? And I think think that that definitely comes from sports and the way you're feeling and and can, you know, transfer to real life. How are you going to... How are you going to look at the world? How are you going to look at the way things are going? And and how can you turn whatever is happening now into something positive for either today or shoot, this workout is awful, but I made it through. And next time it's awful, I'll know I can do it. <laughs> shoot, this day is awful. I got nothing done at work, but here I am. I'm ready to show up tomorrow. Next time I have for me in teaching an awful lesson, nobody died nothing bad happened right we can come back tomorrow and try again and I think that that is a really big lesson do you think you have to go through some failures to figure this stuff out or how do you like even thinking about being a parent the last thing we want is our children to suffer be sad cry about anything physical or emotional um so letting them do that is is a lesson in itself but do you did you remember any like serious failures or successes that helped form these beliefs? That's so interesting. So the first thing that comes to mind actually is not through athletics, but um, when I was in the Peace Corps, I was failing all the time. Sustainable grassroots development is very hard. It's extraordinarily so explain, slow. Yeah, explain the, the so, Peace Corps experience. So Peace Corps, I was in... Um, potentially the most beautiful town in the entire world. I lived in Santiago Atitlan. It is on this basically like five mile by four mile lake in the highlands of Guatemala. It has three green inactive volcanoes surrounding it. it it's like tropical Lake Tahoe. It's gorgeous and amazing people. And it was a wonderful experience. But culture matters and and it's hard to change habits. As we know, I mean, that's true wherever you are, whether it's your first language or not. And I was working doing environmental education. So you were um, trying to help them change their habits. Exactly. Okay. So for trying to make this short, um, basically Santiago lived with out plastic and without paved roads for a very long time and then had a huge influx of plastic and paved at least a couple of their roads um, kind of in the 90s-ish. Um, I was there starting right at the beginning of 2005. And as often happens that infrastructure and technology, I guess we can call it, came without any education. And so when you have typically bought your groceries and maybe wrapped your beans in a banana leaf or um, put them in a clay pot that you've made, then dropping your trash, which is a banana leaf, onto the ground was not necessarily a big problem. It just decomposes and no big deal. Um, 
suddenly when you have just pounds and pounds of plastic, you have all these habits of what you used to do with your trash and no idea of what happens with that. People just throw their trash on the ground all the time. People also, there are a ton more people than there used to be. There's slash and burn agriculture. There's a lot of deforestation because it's never been a problem before and people don't necessarily know that it will be. Um, In some ways, it was nice to do environmental education there where you can say, when you drop your trash, it rains, you can watch it flow into the lake, and then you're getting water to cook and drink out of the lake. And that's gross, right? That, to me, feels easier than some of maybe these big, like, carbon emissions and things that we deal with. Mm -hmm. But I would say to everyone listening, message, just do what you can. Your little can recycling makes a difference, right? Um, But with that, there were many times that it felt like people didn't care. I worked in schools and I got to teach classes and it was great. But people thought, who is this young, weird, blonde girl? We don't want to listen necessarily to her. And a lot of the lessons were poor. I was inexperienced as a teacher and, and didn't maybe... I suppose I'm sure I did not deliver my lessons well, I probably, but I also just sometimes didn't get things done that I expected to get done. That said, when I went to grad school after Peace Corps and during student teaching or doing during our practicum, I remember a lot of my friends crying after poor lessons that they'd given in, you know, they're just their practice teaching. And I was like, oh, I've already been crying about this for two years. Like now right. it's no big deal. Sometimes you have bad <laughs> lessons. Um, and so so Peace Corps maybe taught me that initially. When I look back, I can think of times in the pool um, on the track where, yeah, I had, I mean, everybody cries in their goggles, guys. That's the great thing about goggles <laughs> is that it covers up your tears, right? And everybody pees in the pool. And everybody pees in the pool. <laughs> I have never been in a pool without being, like, I can't think of a single time I've been in a like pool Like you get being. in a pool and you automatically, you it's like a reflex. Pee. It's but true. But like your coach is really going to let you out to go oh, pee? please. No. I mean, if you no. had to poo, you're getting right. out of the pool. <laughs> but true. like to pee, yeah. they're like, that's not an excuse. That's Keep not swimming. That's an excuse. Go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> At Stanford, I wouldn't have literally wouldn't have time to ask, no. "May I pee?" Oh my I god, I didn't get any rest. Well, let me just say, you know, you mentioned something about your time in Guatemala, in the Peace Corps, in that, you know, noticing that people don't really care what you had to say, and how does that feel? <laughs> I mean, this is your mission: is to go over right. there and help. Right. Like you want to be a helper, otherwise yeah. you wouldn't be in the freaking Peace Corps, right? Right. right. So, and this is for anybody listening who feels like their voice is not heard. Yeah. So this is so interesting because I think, and there, if anything, I had an advantage being a fairly tall white woman. You, it's so sad that even when you're in the minority, there's white privilege and there I am. And I could walk into the mayor's office and say, hi, right? Well, there's a line of people out waiting to hope to talk to him. And so I had a lot of opportunities afforded to me there. And and if there's anything I, I learned, and this is hard, people listening for the last 15 minutes will have already realized that I like to talk. Um, <laughs> but, but if anything, what I realized was Peace Corps sets it up. Towns, 
have to request a volunteer. So they want you there for some reason. And whether or not it melds with the reason that you you think you're down there, who knows? But but if anything, it's it's listening first before you start spouting off what you want to do. And I think that one, when you listen to someone else, they're much more apt to listen to you. They're just more open. And two, even those of us like me who have huge egos and think that we probably have better things to say than anyone else can be slightly swayed, right? Even if you learn, oh, right, here, this strategy is not going to work. We're going for the same goal. We have the same, you know, value system. We have the same, same end point. We just have different methods to go about it. I think that that once you listen to that, if you can shift the way that you're shouting mm-hmm. um, yeah. to be heard, or it, or if anything, speak more quietly. Um, Isn't that crazy? It's so crazy. How the, you want to raise your voice to be heard, but when you speak more quietly, mm-hmm. that's when people hear that's you? That's when people hear you. Okay, that's one of the first things that they teach you in teaching. Katie. <laughs> We're going to whisper <laughs> for the rest of this. <laughs> Wow. Um, there, there's some major learnings. I mean, so when you are in an experience, clearly you're in it, right? Yeah. Does it take until you're out of that experience for, for these lessons or these new sort of founding principles for yourself to really, I don't know, become real to you or form themselves? Interesting. Probably so. So I think that the the conscious learning probably takes stepping back from it, you know, probably takes that hindsight. I think subconsciously we probably shift while we're in it and we don't really realize how we've changed until after the fact. That's a great point because you mentioned like one of the best ways to snap out of things is like go for a long run or, mm-hmm. you know, get out of your current situation. but. Then you're just in an experience. It requires maybe some sort of ability to have a deeper thinking moment. And we're so busy in our freaking lives. And just reading off your resume, people are like, I don't know how she's alive. Like this woman has done so much, right? Um, So it's taking those times to let those experiences seep in and become something bigger. Yeah. And that's how we grow. That is, yes. And that, I mean, so I would consider myself an extrovert. I love being with people. You're I an extrovert. a lot of energy from people. <laughs> but I also, I think thanks to being a swimmer growing up, like to be by myself. I spend time with myself. Peace Corps was great for that because everyone went home at six and then it was sort of just lights out and you hung out by yourself in your house. Um, and I think that that's something that can be really difficult as we grow up, as we have families, we're sort of with people all the time. And and it is hard to kind of take that deep breath to reflect. It's, as you said, it's hard to learn when you're just one thing after another. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's huge. Well, let's, let's uh, I wanna go back in time to um, a very formative, you know, event that happened in your life, which we haven't talked about in depth, but you mentioned your parents. Yeah. 
Um, I've known your parents forever. And your mom is incredible. I still see her all the time at Rally Sport. She's kind of just been this sort of, you know, passing figure throughout my life, you know, in terms of you and me. Um, but your dad I only knew for a short time, and I'm sad about that. Um, and so maybe we can talk a little bit about Wendy and Kit yeah. and what they brought you. And uh, we're not going to forget that you've got a new baby now. So we're, you know, we're kind of thinking forward as we think back. Yeah. And your baby's name is Kit. Yeah. And he's just over a year old and he's beautiful. Uh, he's so fun. So let's let's tell the story of, of your parents and specifically the story of your dad. Because, yeah. I mean, we want, you know, memories are important. Mm-hmm. And uh, we can get a lot of incredible lessons out of, out of, especially after time has gone by. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I was, just before Ironman Boulder, I stayed at my mom's house because she lives a couple miles from the res. And she had out uh, a little book that I had made my parents, I don't know, probably when I was in college, maybe. And it said, um, it was a play on that. Everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten, but I changed it to I learned from my parents. And then it had little lessons and a story of how I learned it. And um, it was a good present. Like, <laughs> that's incredible. Looking back, it was a great <laughs> present. But it was also, I, I'm going to have to steal it and remember to teach these things to my children. My parents were perfect. And that it's really, it's not an exaggeration. They were madly in love with each other. Um, and it was palpable in our house. And they were there. I mean, it was just an idyllic child. It's so hard to describe in words, right, the way that you feel as a family. Um, but but just there for us and everything and, and did things with integrity. And, and I think some of the things, for example, I remember, and I don't remember how I phrased the lesson, but I remember when I turned 18 and I was going to vote for the first time. And I was like, Dad, who are you voting for? And he said, okay, so here are the candidates. And then he just laid them out for me in terms of what their, you know, pros and cons of each of the things without giving, you know, he was like, you're 18 and now you make decisions on what you believe in. And he was a lawyer. He was extraordinarily intelligent and well-informed on this (laughs) stuff. And I'm sure there were a lot of things that he watched me bubble in and just thought, oh no. (laughs) But but he kept, you know, he kept his thoughts to himself and... And, um, and uh, yeah, just, we played all the time. We used to, another good story I'll tell about my, my parents. We, my dad and my brother and I would wrestle, like WrestleMania at night and (laughs) wrestle on the bed. And (laughs) there were so many things I learned from this. So we probably started that game when we were like six months and two years old. And you won when someone always my dad fell off the bed, right? And then we got to win. And I was probably eight before I realized that we always had just won. Like somehow, even though I'd grown up six years, was, you know, three (laughs) times the size of when we started this wrestling match when I was two. It was still just even with my dad, right? We just barely. 
And inevitably, you know, and that's that's scaffolding. We talk about that in teaching all the time, right? What does just that making mean? it scaffolding is providing just enough support so that someone has to struggle but is able to accomplish it. Oh, I love that. I love that, right? Yeah. Um, the hard thing, by the way, is not putting up the scaffolding, but remembering to take it down. That is the tricky thing, oh, right? And yeah. especially now as a parent, when you just, like you said, you don't want to see your kids. Oh, gosh. I mean, you don't even really want to see them struggle, even when you know rationally how good that is for them. Mm-hmm. It's so much nicer to just see them happy. Right. <laughs> um, of course. So, yeah, pulling away that help is really hard. Um, but yeah, I think wow. continuing with WrestleMania, inevitably, Pat or I would kick the other in the face or something and one of us would storm off into our room yelling that we because siblings are perfect for that teaching you how to deal with conflict <laughs> totally, right? yeah and then about a minute later my dad would say if I'm the one who'd run off he'd say well I've got Patrick now it's a good thing his sister's not here <laughs> Oh my god! I would bring him back in in a very like tricky, positive way. Yes, very positive. I got to be the savior. Pat and I were back on a team, right? Like he helped you. So good at that. There's some, you know. I've always uh, really admired your attitude. It's like that attitude is everything. Kind of quote. That's you. You know, I see that in you. At least attitude is one of the everything things Mm -hmm. for you. But um, he helped you develop that. Totally. You can turn that negative Mm -hmm. into a positive. You can get back in the game. Yes. When you kick yourself off, you know. (laughs) Exactly. When you're just pouting in your room. And yeah, to be able to come back the hero, (laughs) Pat and I, and he'd look up when I'd run in, totally surprised, right, with this, that I'd come back. (laughs) Ah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. What a great Um, memory. They were great. And my parents, anytime we did anything, and my mom still says this, every... I mean, frankly, I think even academic things, um, but certainly sports, they always said, do your best, have fun. And if that's not everything about life, I can't think of another way to like sum it up shortly. Try as hard as you can, have a good time. Probably maybe I would add be kind or something like that, but... That was, we felt that. So yeah. Well, that's part of do your best. It is. Because that's also something that's been instilled in you. Yeah. Um, So your dad had lung cancer. He did. Which is bizarre. I don't understand it. He was an incredibly athletic and healthy person. Both your parents. Both my parents are, I mean, another thing I grew up with. I think now with my husband as well, my husband luckily is very supportive. We met through triathlon. He's totally over it, <laughs> but he's being very supportive anyway. And I think one of the things I saw in him was that he likes to exercise and be outside and be healthy. And that's something I think growing up, I just assumed everybody's parents worked out every day. Right. My parents worked out every day. That's just and what maybe they twice did. a day. And maybe twice a day. <laughs> and on the weekends we went for hikes and you know, my mom jokes that she tells people sometimes to hike to Mallory Cave, which is this lovely hike here in Boulder. Um which right we could go do right house. now we except you're do. kind of I in have training I do mode. have a workout to do. But um <laughs> but but she was like, "Yeah, she's like it's easy. We took the kids when they were like 4, which is probably true." But <laughs> But 
it's not that no, easy of it's a hike. Not an right? easy hike. <laughs> it's not it's Especially, not a four-year-old yeah, hike. No. Um and I think there was a lot of like stopping and snacking and whatever. We weren't we weren't, you know, training for 10Ks when we were three years old or anything like that. We were just always a really active right. family. Right. Um, and is that something that is important to you to show your baby kit? Absolutely. We mm. go on adventures every day. Um, we yeah. love our little adventures. And so can adventures be anything or is it always athletic or? It's anything. anything. That includes, it's basically the way that I try and make the car seat a little more fun that we're going on. <laughs> we sing a song about adventures um, when we get in the car Adventure. seat because he doesn't like that. No, adventures can be anything from the zoo or a farm to our local library to Target. He likes walking mm-hmm. in and out the sliding doors at Target a lot. Um, and touching the big red balls in front of it. So yeah, any of our any of our outings we call yeah. adventures because I mean this is sort of silly, but it can be life can be an adventure. I don't think you're right. That is hard for me having traveled quite a bit. So my mom, back to my parents, my mom was a flight attendant when we were really young. That's right. Um, she's always been very passionate about travel. Thanks to that, we got free flights. So we did quite a bit of traveling when we were younger and that, you know, stuck with me. And obviously Peace Corps got that into me. And and sometimes I really get the itch to like, why am I not, you know, in Cambodia right now right. doing something amazing? And, and just reminding myself that you don't have to be in Cambodia to be adventuring through life. Not that you shouldn't go if you have the chance, but but anywhere you live there's there's some way to find excitement I think one-year-olds help with that a lot because they I mean he still thinks that when the leaves rustle in the wind it's spectacular and we can just watch that for a while right rocks splashing in a stream nothing oh there is nothing like a child to make you just appreciate the world all the little things and and those first times that you actually get something where you're like that was a real laugh Mm. that wasn't just whatever I will tell you I experienced that with Wilder when she was probably about Kit's age and we had one of those little like seats that clips onto a counter yeah and she's sitting at our counter and we had some fruit flies which are super annoying so she was just sort of watching me I guess and I started clapping (laughs) trying to get the fruit flies and she started cracking up so hard because it looked like I was just clapping (laughs) at the air for no reason it was like the funniest (laughs) thing so it's those little moments that snap you out of whatever thoughts I had in my mind that day yes and you're like okay this is what it's all about right Right. Be in the moment. Be Bring the joy. Moment. Be proud of yourself. Yes. Kit, if he hits the button right on our garage door, like the outside code, I'll put in the code and then he can hit enter. If he hits the right button and it opens, he looks around with his mouth open and his, you know, like agape, his eyes super wide and he's so proud of success yes i won the olympics i got and here he has this like 30 seconds to celebrate while the garage door slowly opens and he can just look around and like bask in his own glory and we need i mean we need to keep our egos in check maybe but we need to do that sometimes more often just sort of celebrate the little things that we do because otherwise you know so let's give everybody a um a goal today. Yeah. Goals are also important. We can talk about yes. that later. We have so much I we can talk about. I saw some on the wall. I love oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yes. This is good. Um, 
So celebrate the little things. Yeah. So today, when you're listening to this conversation with Katie Blakemore Evans, which I can't, I you're Katie Blakemore it's to me. Okay. <laughs> um, think of one small thing that happened today that you can celebrate. Or if you can't go back in time, as you go forward in time, as you realize a small thing is happening, take a moment in your mind to switch whatever you're thinking to a positive celebration. I love that. Me too. Let's do it. Okay, doing it. Um, so let's go back to your parents. Okay. Yep. Okay. Um, so they help teach you this, right? And you're paying it forward. I'm, tr- yeah, certainly yes. trying to pay it forward. Um, I think that, so like I said, um, the love between them was something that, and, and that's not to say that I don't think families can be wonderful in single parent homes, in divorced homes. I mean, you, like love is this amazing thing that comes between friends it comes you know between siblings it comes just frankly with coworkers or wherever you find it but i think just having some sort of positive relationship role model was was really nice i also think that my parents were continually like learning and doing better and doing things that that scared them um, Everyone, she'll be embarrassed, but everyone should Google. I'm wondering. Oh my God. Let's see. On do YouTube, it. you need to look up. What could we look up? I think if you look up Wendy Blakemore on YouTube and maybe type in aerials, like <gasps> flying in the yes. air. Yes. My mom started when she was probably 50. Uh huh taking basically Cirque du Soleil classes. Yes. And and I should say sh- she was doing new things throughout our lives, but this is a good example. Um and she am I allowed to say ass? She's you, a you just did. Badass. Done. She's a badass. <laughs> yeah. She is amazing and she's climbing up what she calls her curtains. These if you've seen Cirque du Soleil, yeah. these curtains basically this huge fabric is about three stories high and wrapping herself in it and doing the splits and she's incredible and it was just something new for her to try she had done some running in her 30s though she and she was good she didn't start running till she was 31 maybe yeah um and and just decided to get into something new I think that my parents were doing that my parents were we're doing things that that scared them and and just getting better well after 22. It's easy, right? Maybe not easy, but through high school or college, there's always this next step. Not only are you right, literally your brain and your body is is are are growing. And so you get better at life and and that's really nice you're getting smarter you're getting stronger those things are happening and you sort of always have a next step and so personal growth sometimes when you're younger has an it's not an easy path but sometimes it's a clear path right right yeah and and then it's i think even for me now it's easy to fall into this like I have a job and I get up and I go to my job and I come home and I eat dinner and I exercise and I go to bed. For me, it's like I get up, I exercise, go to my job, exercise. Right, right. (laughs) But you're you're also a very disciplined person, which is also something. Yes. And I think that that discipline serves you really well. There's also, it's, it's easy to get into a rut of routine. I think routine and discipline can be really good Mm. for us as long as we're not being stuck. And... 
And so that was something I saw from my parents, just that you could better yourself um, kind of for your entire life. Um, What what a lesson to learn. Um, So so you're you are this is all just like this kind of warm fuzzy uh environment that you're just like enveloped in like a big huge bear hug all the way through high school until you leave for college yeah and then you're then then i'm at stanford which is also so (laughs) what is it (laughs) this is so silly but i have literally had crying breakdowns more than once in my life where I think I've never had to overcome anything. <laughs> my life's just perfect, <laughs> right? Oh my god. I gosh. was sure I would never get into college because I was pretty good at most stuff, but I wasn't great and I didn't have any big thing I overcame. <laughs> Which is just Oh my god. So silly. But yes, my life has been pretty fantastic all the time. Stanford, I wanted to go to Stanford from about age six. Mm-hmm. Um, I had extraordinarily high expectations. It exceeded them in every way. It was a perfect fit, and I absolutely loved it. Um, and and you were a swimmer, and Stanford is one of the number one swimming schools in the country. But like you said, you were great at swimming, but you weren't like the best. Yeah. So how were you able to swim there? Because most kids wouldn't be on the swim team then. Yeah. So I um, I called in the fall um, the swim team through the athletic department. I called and requested that I could be on the time, um, on the team. And luckily with swimming, it's fairly objective, right? You can send in times and they can look at your times. And, um, I think I sent a statement of, you know, I like to work hard and admire your team and I really want to swim for you. And, the like sub assistant coach called back and said, why don't you call again after you get accepted? <laughs> like, we're not going to help you get into school. Right, exactly. <laughs> like you're not actually a recruit, but let's but, uh, one step at a time. One step at a time. That's right. So, um, so I did. So I applied and got in, I guess, in like early April and and then wrote or I think I, I emailed them back to say, um, you know, hey, I was accepted and um, I'd love to swim for you. You know, here are my times. What do you think? And uh, Richard Quick, the probably the like most what the best swim coach in history he's a legend a legend Mm -hmm. five-time olympic coach multiple multiple ncaa championship teams that he's coached um called me one day and this is so silly but he called and he said hey katie like thank you for your interest we have a really small group of dedicated women here on my team and this is word for word guys because this is such a pivotal (laughs) moment and I was just getting ready for the letdown. Like, oh, the team is small. They're, you know, they're only looking for the very best. And he said, I think you'd fit in perfectly. And I said, I got really short of breath. <laughs> and I said, really? And he said, yeah. And I said, really? <laughs> and then I think he regretted <laughs> accepting me. 
And he said, yes. And I said, you'll have to forgive me. I'm at high altitude and I'm a little out of breath. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. And so he said, he said, yeah, we'll see you in August. He said, show up in the best shape of your life. Oh my God. Oh God. (laughs) And this summer before college, you're like, I'm going to have some fun. Yeah. You would think, nope. But yeah. So that was, and then I got my butt kicked for four years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of your teammates had to be some Olympians people might know. Mm -hmm. Who were they? Name some names. Yeah. So I swam with Misty Hyman, was a senior my freshman year. So yeah, she and Richard came back to school two weeks late because Sydney Olympics were like a little bit late. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Do you know when I was being recruited, Richard was the coach. Oh yeah. But that, that would was make sense. Ten years before you. Yeah. Yeah. So he you That's know, okay. he had an incredible tenure. He really um, did. Yeah. yeah. Misty, um, Tara and Dana Kirk both swam oh, with me. My gosh. Olympians oh my gosh. And wonderful women. And very hard workers, right? There's a lot of w- these women were talented. There's no question that they had tons of talent. Yeah. A lot of them, you know, were national age group record holders at 12. Tara not, interestingly. The first year I made zones in Gillette, Wyoming, Tara was in the stands watching her younger sister because she hadn't qualified for zones when she was like 13. Breaststrokers are weird, though. You know this, Yeah, Nicole. we get, we get. And so you yeah. either hit it at like age nine. Right. Or you hit it at 15. Right, right. Um, she is, you know, then <laughs> a world record holder after that. But um, so, Kristen Caverly, just some how did, really awesome women. How does it feel to be surrounded by this level of talent when you know, like, you're probably never going to be there. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you keep going? I mean, did it demoralize you or did it elevate you? Right. Good question. So particularly my freshman year, it was extraordinarily elevating because potentially I was naive, but I was like, sure, I'm just going to be like these people as soon as I train with them for a little <laughs> while. Um, but, well, there is some but, of that. Like, you can just sort of get better by surrounding yes, yourself by the best. Absolutely. You and, absolutely can. Um, and yeah, like I said, they were talented. They also worked really hard. It was a group that my freshman year, Jessica Fashi, an awesome distance swimmer and awesome person, um, was was just crushing it. And I got to be in the distance group with her. And that definitely elevated my work ethic, elevated... Um, even just the times I was, again, swimming's relatively objective, the times I was putting out in practice. Um, and Richard, the thing, I think Richard was an excellent coach. His strongest quality, he would say, I really believe in believing in belief, <laughs> which is <laughs> certainly a mouthful. But, but he really did believe in it. He felt like having self-confidence setting big goals and believing that you could achieve them, he felt like that made a difference. And he was very good at imparting that. You could get some podcasts from our morning sitting in the locker room with him psyching us up for a swim practice. Um, Amazing. Yeah, so that was... And he was also kind of crazy and made us do a lot of really dumb things. But, um, But yeah, that... So that piece definitely made a difference and and I was just so frankly honored to be there with people that that I admired um 
and enjoyed. And I've I've always been a pretty good practicer. I think luckily, thanks to Ironman, I'm learning that that was probably because I'm sort of an endurance athlete, right? Once I got to yep. spread my effort over two and a half hours or more, um, I was doing really well. But so I I certainly couldn't keep up in practice unless we were hanging with the sprinters doing a longer set, right, then right. I was crushing it. But um, but I could make it. I was, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't stupid that I was there in terms of not part of the workout at right, all. Right. I was close enough to be able to practice with these girls. So that was great. And I was loud and I was crazy about Stanford and I was crazy about swimming. And so you brought a it spirit. was nice to yeah. yeah be a part of that. Well, and a lot of the hyper successful swimmers, especially when you're young, 18 to 22 years old, I mean, they're in their own worlds too. And so to have this backbone, this person who lends the spirit and the soul and the heart of the team, like they needed you too. Well, thank you. Yeah. I hope so. It's huge. I hope so. So I don't want to not tell a little more of the story of your dad just yeah. because I feel like I want to pay him homage. Yeah. And I want to educate people too because we all lose people in our lives at mm-hmm. times that it's never convenient. Mm-mm. And you can get through it and you can grow from it. So... You know, going back to the fact that this like incredible robust man gets lung cancer, I don't even understand that. Yeah, so we found, so when I was maybe 25, I was in Guatemala and they found a lump in his lung. And um, it, so it turns out it was pancreatic cancer. They found it in his lung, but oh, we didn't know. Oh, crap. Which is, yes, not not a good cancer um none of them are good but but yeah as you said it's it's never convenient and i think um my my husband's uncle who was a um father figure for him died really unexpectedly and we've discussed like so is it is it better with my dad we had about two and a half years of sometimes really really crummy very sick but sometimes sort of not himself but okay able to do life i mean he worked basically until about three months before he died because he loved his job and he loved the people he worked with and Mm -hmm. was committed to to doing that but um you know was it was it nice to be able to say over and over i love you and this is what you've taught me and you're amazing and um or is it nicer not to like watch that suffering and right um i don't know they both suck frankly they both Um, suck it doesn't you just sort of have a hole in your heart forever right and and you start to hope that that hole is is filled i guess memories start to be more positive than just sad right you can look back on yeah you know with with sort of a happy heart or with with nostalgia maybe but but not just sadness I know for a while my dad loved Motown music because it's the best music (laughs) Um, and there was a good good portion of time where I just like couldn't listen to Smokey Robinson without crying because it was just too strong of a connection 
And and now I still have, I don't know, when um, a song like that plays or something, someone new comes out with something similar, I still have that like, oh, my dad would love this or I would love to tell my dad about this or like listen to this with him. But it's maybe not quite so visceral. It's a little bit. Yeah. Um, well, you talk about that hole in your heart. How do you continue to honor the things that he taught you when he's not here? Yeah. I know. I, I'm getting tears in I my know, eyes because I, I knew him too. Yeah. Um, God, that's really hard. I think, if anything, becoming a parent helps with that because wow. you literally get to do the things that your parents did for you, right? So it's one thing to say, you know, both my parents like volunteered a lot despite spending so much time with us and like keeping and with each other. You know, they still, my dad ran mock trial. My mom was teaching Spanish classes in like our preschools and, um, and so, and working for Make-A-Wish and so joining my mom in Make-A-Wish and like knowing that you're sort of living those things that, that they taught you, maybe that hopefully is the best way my dad my dad had said before he died like how do you want to be remembered and he was like just as a good father and husband right and so if you can just just maybe show like this is what I learned and this is who I am and it's thanks to you and I'll try to present the best version of myself maybe that's how oh, you honor someone um I love that I yeah, feel like you're doing know. that I like you really so. are it's a high bar I think my family is not really religious and my brother once told me he's amazing too by the way my life is really awesome he, he was amazing. really annoying when we were little but <laughs> I kind he of grew remember. out of it <laughs> I um, might have been biased but he grew out of it but he he was talking about how you know I think right away I said it, it would be so nice to just no questions asked be able to say he's in a better place he's with his maker things like that and if people believe that I think that's so wonderful and I love that Comfort. they have a relationship mm -hmm. with a higher power and like if that is your thing good well right? it gives you comfort yes and that's and, what we all want is right, the people right. that we love to not suffer yes, coming all the exactly. way back to that and I just don't have that conviction and and maybe at some point I will but my brother had said like knowing that dad's blood is literally in our veins right that his dna he's like that's the way that he's in a better place right and that's Ooh, a call like to that. action so i like that thanks pat um Whew. so i think i think you know in daily life that's certainly something and then yeah just e even if it's simple traditions you know around christmas or something again as a parent you get to do those things really every day with the small things and then also um you're gonna be wrestling on the bed you need to have a sibling for kid no okay oh, no pressure okay no pressure yeah so i mean i just the story is so beautiful and like sad at times but this yeah, is life mm -hmm. you know i mean it's beautiful it's sad it's tragic it's it's celebratory it's mm -hmm. everything and what I love about you is you embrace and accept all those things as Thanks. they come. 
You know, um, we're running really long today, but I do want to ask you a couple more. <laughs> I figured we probably I, would. I want to talk a little bit about your entry into uh, professional sports okay, sure. because you became a triathlete uh, a little later. Yeah. Um, and I want to tell you that I knew that the moment I met you, is after I found out you were a runner who was a high level successful runner at Fairview High School under the gu uh, guidance of Joanne Ernst, one of the legends of triathlon. Yes. And, and this is in Boulder where you get incredible people like Ironman champions who yes. coach for yes. free, right. you know, <laughs> right. high school programs. I knew you'd become a triathlete. I just knew it. I knew you had the talent and, um, and you were a distance swimmer and that doesn't hurt. All you had to do is pick up cycling and that's not that hard when you have the swimming <laughs> and the running yeah. underneath you. So yeah, you. you I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. I totally <laughs> picked that up yet, but we're, yeah, it is kind of hard. But it's you know, it's less of an uphill battle than trying to pick up the swimming, right? Definitely. So, um, what what was it that triggered you to say, I have something here, and I want to pursue this on a different level? Mm -hmm. Um. So, like you said, I always knew I would do an Ironman. Even if that, that was just like get through an Ironman. I mean, not Wait, always, you always but knew? Probably, so, probably from when I met you, I was like, yeah, someday. I'm going to do this crazy I'm stuff. I'm going to do this. Now, I don't know that I, I'm actually positive. I was not anticipating that I would make it the lifestyle that I'm making it now. Um, but I, I was definitely always interested, I guess, in in that athletic pursuit. Because like you said, I mean, here, if I came back from college swimming and wanted to hop into a master's program, Dave Scott and Anna Scott were running master's programs, right? I'm coached by you. I'm seeing, I told Nicole's husband, Tim, one time when I was about 17, he brought his very weird looking triathlon bike that had these sticky out bars in front of the handlebars. I thought it was so strange. Um, but but yeah, it was always something that interested me because that's just what happens when you're a swimmer and a runner and you grow up in Boulder, right? And that there are kind of quite a few of us, any of us that did both cross country and swimming that are back kind of on the scene. Um, I did not anticipate that it would be, you know, a professional pursuit, um, but it seemed like a fun big goal to to complete an Ironman. And um, I guess sort of after Peace Corps, when I really needed to get back into shape, did a couple marathons and then... While you were getting your master's at Vanderbilt. At Vanderbilt, yeah. And met, met their um, triathlon coach and team there. And, and luckily... Yeah, one, I like to work hard. I just like exercising and I'm goal oriented and Ironman's really good for both of those. Um, and then moved back and got involved with Rocky Mountain Tri Club. So I'd done right. a couple shorter, shorter races. And again, I I was good, but I wasn't I wasn't great when I first started. I was sort of fine. Um and um, so I did my first Ironman in 2010 
And in Louisville, it was roasting hot and so humid and um, a perfect first Ironman experience. Um, I explained that this is my second podcast and I've only done two ever and they're both in the last two weeks. (laughs) That's okay. You're slated Um, for many more. There we go. Um, But I had explained there in some ways... It was exactly the way that NBC's coverage of Kona makes triathlon look, right? <laughs> People were just falling into the bushes and like uh, cramping and crying. Uh, and I was like, I can't believe I did this. Like, I'm a goddess. <laughs> and, and so, and I was kind of like right in the middle of the back. Maybe, I mean, I was probably a little in front of the middle, but, um, and then um, with Rocky Mountain Tri Club, I, I think I've just always been surrounded by people who are nice and say like, hey, you have a shot at this. And and I met my coach, Matt Smith, through there. And he as well was like, I you know, I'd love to coach you. This would be great. Um, I think you could be a pro. Um, Did you hear my stomach? <laughs> We've been talking one. so long. I'm know, like getting I'm so hungry. Sorry. It's I'm amazing. So chatty. No, it's um, amazing. But and. And frankly, I after qualifying for a Kona in my second Ironman, that was after getting a coach, having a coach helps a lot. Um, and, and... Well, if we just say for a moment, you know, essentially you're a coach or a guide for a lot of little people. Are you still... You. You're still teaching. I So I didn't. I quit my job when I had my baby. Oh, Yay! yeah. Cool. And so it's been a year. Playing. So it's been one year. Yep. Yeah. And, and for a while after your master's and while you were exploring triathlon before you got married and pregnant, all this mm-hmm. jazz that brings us to, you know, the new Katie, um, you had dedicated yourself to Denver Public Schools, That's right? right? Yeah. So I taught, I taught for, yeah, the first five years, I guess, of my, God, more than, I got yeah i've been teaching i've been teaching about 10 years and so five of those i was also competing as a right. professional triathlete right and don't quit your day job was, so you know exactly you might right. get somewhere don't get your day job until you get a sugar daddy to support yeah. you and your kid <laughs> or you start winning money at <laughs> ironman's yeah. there was a prize purse in the last one you did there right? was and so how much Michael, did you get for second $4,000, which is a lot of money, but also... Whoa, that's a big prize purse. It's a pretty big prize purse. I, when I won Ironman Wisconsin, it was only five grand. What? Yeah. Oh, and that's it's ridiculous. Like in, well, actually, with inflation stuff, maybe, maybe. that's somewhat yeah, decent. Yeah, about the same. But, but the thing is, <laughs> really I honestly good. don't really know how people do it. Think about, you'd almost have to do that every month. Not every month, but every other month, right? That's why short course and racing so, can be more right, interesting. Right, and that's kind of coming... I don't really understand how most triathletes make it work financially. I don't think they do. I don't think they do. I think <laughs> a lot of people save up for a while in a real job. It, triathlon attracts, I think, type A people who also in business happen to do well or in their job, whether, you know, business or technology or medicine or, or things like that. Or they're supported in other ways. Exactly. And yeah. so I think a lot of them have saved up or they're, like you said, they're supported in other ways. But um, my goal when I went pro was basically to cover my triathlon expenses because it's a very expensive sport mm-hmm. and teaching is not a super lucrative job. Yeah. I was doing fine, but it was nice to kind of cover that. And so I've been able to do that. 
which is perfect. And I think that's a very valid goal. Yeah. I, I do remember when I turned pro, I said, I want to break even. Yeah. If I can break even for a year or two, I can justify doing this for yes. a year or two. Yes. And if you improve from there, then you mm-hmm. can make your decisions on whether or not you're going to go back to a different kind of job. Exactly. Exactly. And I liked, I liked that it kept triathlon as a choice. I didn't have to ride my bike so that I could pay rent. I didn't have to go to the pool so that I could eat a good breakfast, right? I, I, that doesn't mean every morning I wanted to go to the pool. Some days you don't want to, but you do because it becomes a habit. And after you start, it's always worth it, right? It is. But it always just it 20 is. minutes. You guys get 20 minutes of your workout in and you'll be good. But, um, but in general, just as, as a pursuit, it was a choice rather than, than a need. And I think that made it, you know, it, it allowed me to be more passionate about it, maybe. Um, there are parts of me that wish I would have just gone all in, right? What, where could you be? But... Same with being second place in Boulder. I am playing the shoulda, woulda game a lot right now, and I'm trying to turn that off a little bit. Um, Why are you playing it? Because of your race finish? Yeah. So like, Nicole, should I have I'm gone like very harder? proud, yeah. especially considering the heat. The I executed that race beautifully. Mm-hmm. I raced very smart, and in some ways, I'm wishing I hadn't because maybe you go a little earlier in the run and you catch first. And and of course, the problem with looking back is that you think, oh, then I totally would have been fine, right? right. And you sort of either forget how tired you were or what or whatever it is. But um, that's, I've, I've been second in races before, but I've never been that close to first. And so it's both a race that I'm very proud of and also probably the most disappointed I've ever been about a race. Second place is Ugh. absolutely brutal. Yes. Um, but all the things that you learn from all of these races, you learn way more from your second, third, fourth, dead last yes. finishes than you ever will from winning a race. Yeah. However, the glory, <laughs> <laughs> the training to glory ratio, we're still seeking here. Well, and it potentially it's, the point is to get the best of yourself, right? One of the things that I've been trying to remind myself is like, okay, what if Kirsty is the name of the girl who won? What if she wasn't there? What if she just hadn't raced? Would I have been more proud of my performance? And the sad thing is, because of the way life works, probably I would have, right? But should I be more proud of it? No. <laughs> like You might have gone point, slower. I might have gone slower, yeah. exactly. Um, so if... If I got into this to find the best of myself, then really the people there are just there to make me do better and and our placing shouldn't necessarily matter. All that being said, that's all existential and beautiful. Like winning is so fun. (laughs) And and so it would have been nice to win. I hear you. (laughs) And this is the amazing part and the travesty of your pursuits at this point in your life yeah 
Well, Katie, we have been going for almost an hour oh, ten. Sorry, we have rocked it's it. Ten k instead of a five k this week. Definitely <laughs> a ten. No, or it could be like a walking five k, which many of that, our listeners do, totally. which is perfect. Yes, it is. Um, so let's let's sorry. move it. Oh, <laughs> there is no sorry. This is the most amazing episode. It is so fun to reconnect, to follow, uh, to dig into the things that help shape you. There's a strong woman who is helping other people find their own power too. I mean, this is what you do just yeah. by walking the world. So let's give everybody uh, their your final nugget. So if you can give our listeners one final piece of advice so they can run their worlds in a bigger and better way, what would I it be? I love it. Can I repeat the one we already yes. said? Do your best. Have fun. Done. Everything you do. Done and done. Done, done. And done. Let's go have some fun. <laughs> okay. What a blast. Um, I I just love Katie. I could have kept talking to her for so long, but this was already a 10K, <laughs> as we said at the end. I'll have to have her on again sometime. I'm sure you guys just absolutely appreciated her perspective. I talked to Tim after I interviewed Katie, and he said, I heard you two laughing in there. It sounded like a fun one. And it was it was just such a great way to sum it up. It was fun. If you gain anything from this episode, it would be Katie's final nugget. It's so beautiful in its simplicity. Do your best, have fun. Katie is brilliant, charismatic, thoughtful, and practical. I'm so proud of the path she's chosen to take in this world. Please be sure to follow her and cheer her along. You know, as a sponsored athlete, she needs followers and she is worthy of of your support somehow I just feel like when Katie wins we all win do you like that I like that <laughs> all right everyone let's wrap it up you know what time it is it's time to get out there and run this world have a great workout and I'll see you next week